What a beauty day it is outside here in southern Ontario, and specifically Hamilton, uh, where we are. Welcome, everybody, to Purposely Offside. Anthony here alongside Jordan Battaglia. How's it going? Man, we got to get out swinging today. Golf season's in the air. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we got to get out there. I haven't been out. I haven't been out once in terms of going to the driving range. Not like I'm not even talking about a round. Like, not even once to the driving range yet. You? I've been once. And? Oh, it's been terrible, <laughs> as usual. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, we'll join Austin and the boys out for a round soon. Oh, you went there. I'm sure they got lots of practice in so far. You went there. Well, I ended up seeing. Uh, I think it was Kapanen on on Instagram and stuff. He was already hitting the course, so. Glad to see that they're uh, they're taking in that the series lost well. I was just um, I mean speaking about golf, I read a tweet this week about um, what golf contributes to Canada's gross domestic product or GDP. Golf helps drive the Canadian con- helps drive the Canadian economy, contributing fourteen point three billion to the GDP. That's more than all other sports combined. Is that crazy? That's interesting yeah. never ever would have thought that yeah. golf especially being here in Canada would would be a driving factor in that so it's more than all the sports yeah. combined combined so 2300 golf facilities across Canada right um, the Canadian golf industry has excellent employment opportunities right I think I mean if you think about it it's true right you have like your field marshals your clubhouses bartenders well, majority of those are all like you know baby boomers, those old heads that are uh, you know the retirees hitting the links. But but then you have thirty seven percent of those working at golf courses, Canadian golf courses, are students. So if you're talking about you know hiring yeah. students or those that are younger, yeah. Well, you got all the uh, you know good looking golf cart uh, attendees, yeah, and, yeah. Well, and beer cart girls that are all driving around, and, and you know they're exhausting. selling like crazy on yeah. the golf course, right? Yeah. Um, Canadian travelers make more than 1 million trips involving golf spending. Uh, sorry, spending $2.5 billion annually on golf-related travel within Canada. So, I mean, think about people heading out to Vancouver. Um, out most, east. most notably, out east. You know, to yeah, all the, has incredible golf. To all the Northern Ontario, yeah, Muskoka's. Beautiful landscape here yeah. in Canada. So, you're traveling around Canada. You're contributing to the Canadian economy. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense, right? Now imagine about all the money spent on traveling to the U.S. to go golf as well. I mean, well, imagine if you can start keeping that that money in here too. And that's what we've been talking about for a while. We've been yeah. thinking about going on a, some epic golf trips. a little road trip to Arizona. Arizona, Florida. I mean, you got a lot of retirees that head out to Myrtle Beach and other spots in South Carolina too. We, Georgia. We, uh, we usually go out to uh, a road trip every year to watch a leave game i think we stopped we didn't go this year because we usually go to buffalo we didn't go this year because every time we go to buffalo they just get routed killed but we talked about how next year potentially zona potentially zona leafs coyotes and then maybe head down to vegas for a little leafs golden knights action that's dangerous it's getting me excited already there's been we've been talking about tons of roadies today yeah the other one was the Florida trip. Yeah. Actually, Brian did that for his bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we got to get, uh, maybe we got to get down there next year. But anyway, going back, even on foreign visitors 
to Canada. They spend about $1.6 billion on golf-related travel and on course spending. I know a lot of Americans uh, go to Banff. They go to the course in Lake Louise, which is breathtaking. Yeah. looks incredible. So I know, I know that, that place is just a, a hotbed for golf as well. It's crazy. When I was reading this, yeah. I just I couldn't believe. Never it. would have thought. Never would have thought those numbers thought would be like that. And three hundred thousand jobs related to the golf industry. So that was Bob Weeks. If you want to check him out on on Twitter, he actually uh, retweeted that. Um, it was it was an initial retweet. Uh, sorry, tweet by Golf Canada that had all these statistics in terms of what um, you know what Canada. Or what golf contributes to the Canadian GDP, and that's that's a crazy amount. Well, so. you think too, in a few weeks or uh, in about a month or so, we're getting the Canadian Open here in our own barn. So yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to generate a lot of interest, especially this year. Um, if you don't know, uh, the PGA made the decision to actually push the tournament up so that it would coincide with it being the tournament that would occur the week before the U.S. Open. Because usually it, it's the, it's after? I think usually it occurs in July, July or August, which, which there's no majors in and around it. It doesn't generate interest from a lot of the big names because there's, there's no uh, sort of practice or like tune up for any majors that are coming up so they just end up skipping it they don't want to make the trip to canada they're traveling either throughout the u.s or playing overseas and you know it's a it's a big opportunity for not only canada or golf canada but hamilton alone to showcase that we you know we do have some top courses in this area as well yeah um, and are just a great city to come and visit because i mean hamilton golf and country clubs it's an incredible course. I've never played it. I've never been there. But yeah, I've actually it's a little bit out of my pay range. But I went to a uh, wedding there a long time. I think I was like five years old. I obviously couldn't appreciate it at the time. Yeah. But yeah, the Canadian Open is in our neck of the woods this year. Yeah. Hamilton Golf and Country Club, actually located in Ancaster. Uh, we yeah, we, we got to hit that up. Yeah, we got some big up. names. I know so far that uh, Rory McIlroy is committed to it. Um, I think Dustin Johnson and Webb Simpson. Well, most likely your boy Webb well. Simpson. My boy Webb. Jordan loves um, Webb Simpson. There's RBC sponsored athletes. I think they have to partake in that because it's RBC. So Dustin Johnson has to be there, right? Isn't he? DJ number one golfer in the world. McElroy, who's killing it this this week. Webb Simpson. You're probably going to have guys like Kucher, maybe Finau. So it's going to be a lot of big names. There, there was, uh, and there's never those big names because ever. because it was uh, it often coincided with the U.S. Open, right? So the Canadian Open often didn't get those big names, no, and this never. year they changed it around. Yeah. So they are getting those big names. I'm going to go. We should go. Yeah, I think, I think it's like seventy dollars for a day pass. Yeah, that'd be you can different pa- different packages. There's packages that have like all inclusive drinks at certain holes, VIPs. You can you can get uh, access to just the grounds for one day. Um, you can get an entire week package where you see like the practice rounds. I think there's a par three tournament, um, and then also the uh, of course the entire tourney from Thursday to Sunday. So. What, do you, what do you think you would shoot at the Hamilton Golf and Country Club? Oh, I'd easily shoot close to two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Actually, though, like, do you think I have a greasy round? Well, you, I mean, your golf game was pretty good last year. It's it decent, right. best it's I've seen. Smaller courses. Apparently, there's it's a pretty long course too. So. You know my, you know me with my driver. I'm just gonna duff it in the woods all the time. So if yeah, if you can, if you can figure out the driver, That's your it. golf game would improve significantly. Yeah. And obviously, the short game is it's so spotty. I mean, my short game's spotty. It's good some days and it's bad some days. Yeah. And some days I'm on, some days I'm off. Hitting Nolwood four times last year at the beginning <laughs> of 
the golf season, like April, May was, was pretty helpful because it helped to see how much I was improving. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, the goal this year for me, get the pitching wedge under control, figure it out, get that, get those chips, like pitching onto the green. That's my issue. Yeah. Over under on Nike mock turtlenecks at the Canadian open. Um, in terms of players no. wearing them or fans? Fans. Fans? Like the Nike, like a, the, the Sunday red. Sunday red. Sunday red tiger. mock turtlenecks. How many, uh, how, many, uh, how many beauties do you think are just going to show up having a Coors in hand with a Nike mock turtleneck red? I think you'll see a few. I honestly don't think you'll see as many as you, you'd think you would be. I mean, the Masters was, uh, you know. Was Woods is not like Woods is not guaranteed to play in that tournament? No, right? I don't think he's yeah, committed. He he probably won't play. If I would say this, if he if he were to play, you'd see them everywhere. Yeah. If he doesn't play, I don't but think you're going to see him. Is it for sure that he's not playing the tournament yet? I don't think it's been announced. Okay, so we'll figure it out. But, but it is it is before the U.S. Open, uh, so he yeah he's may play. I don't think he's the type of guy that will that obviously being Tiger Woods will want to play too many sort of like tune up tournaments. Um. But no, it hasn't been announced or anything yet. It'd be massive, just massive for the city if he were to show up. But well, I don't and think I, and I think that now that he won the Masters, imagine the attendance he'd draw oh, if he came to the Canadian huge. Open. Be crazy. So anyway, I thought we'd start off with a little bit of golf talk. But uh, I mean, me and you should go contribute to golf, which contributes greatly to the Canadian uh, GDP. Maybe we'll go a little bit, do a little bit of swinging yeah. after. Perfect day for it. Perfect day for it. Go to the driving range, practice our irons, practice with our driver, and get that and get that down pat before the Raptors play at three thirty. It's a do or I think it's do or die for those guys today. Yeah, we we got we got to get a quick swing in before the Raptors play. Afternoon game for the Raptors today at three thirty in Philly, and. I'm a little worried. I think you have every reason to be worried based on just the fact alone that Pascal Siakam is doubtful to play today. That's that's huge. Because we're talking about a team that's getting nothing from their bench and now their second best players out of the lineup. And we've been pumping the tires of Pascal Siakam a lot in the show. Like he was a few times star, one of the three stars of the week. He... Um, He's just been dominant, most improved player in the NBA. Not officially, but I think according to us. I'm worried a little bit today. They got absolutely destroyed. That rinsed against Philly on Thursday. It, it looked really, that was embarrassing. It looked really bad. It's probably one of the worst games I've ever seen the Raptors play. Yeah. It was that bad. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Like we, we obviously showed up a bit late. Yeah, we yeah we had a soccer game. We, but, we saw the I fourth mean, quarter. That's all we need to see. Well, I saw a little bit of the first. You you, and I watched I watched the highlights the too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a there's a lot to panic about if you're a Raptors fan right now. I mean, but the narrative is just amazing how it changed from game one because they were so <sighs> dominant. Yeah. And then it's, and we, you know they talked about how uh, they talked about how Paul or not Paul Marcusall was like the perfect matchup against Joel Embiid, and now Joel Embiid. Figured something out, and he's rolling well, I now. Think he's, I, I think his sickness has passed. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's the, all the talk the, about the him bleeps. Being, yeah, there's. He had the bleeps. Yeah, he had the. Uh, yeah, he had to go to the washroom quite often. The poos. Yeah. Um, 
the number two. I think that had a lot to play with it. It was just that his, his sickness was sort of limiting him. Um, I think you can tell that he's he's got to be over it now because he just he destroyed the Raps. He embarrassed them himself. He's up. He's you know um, doing all these sellies, doing the airplane, doing the shimmy. Joel Embiid really pisses me off. Yeah, the show the showboating is just uncalled for. I know you're at home. I know you're trying to pump your fans up. You know you had buddies in the crowd. They're showing like Allen Iverson, Deshaun Jackson, and all these like Philly former Philly players and stars are all there by the sitting by the bench and going crazy. But I mean, come on, man, it shows some professionalism. Yeah, you haven't won anything yet. You haven't won the series yet. It's not like you're sweeping them and you're embarrassing them every night. Like, come on, it's one game. So, do you think the Raptors respond to that? Because I think they have you to. have to respond to something like that. If they don't, they're they're done. I mean, if you show that if you show that you're, um, you know, gonna allow, you're gonna stand for that, and you're gonna allow that to to rattle you, and because that's exactly what they're doing. They're just doing it to rattle them, just to shake them loose, and and hopefully, you know, take over in terms of like a mental game. But if you're the Raptors, you have to come back with a strong performance today. You got to take control of the ball from from the tip off and just. And just go with it. You can't let these guys come in and rattle you because if you do that, you're going to be down three um, one. Your backs are going to be against the wall, and you're going to be facing elimination coming home. So it's they, amazing. They can't it's, afford to. They can't afford to do that today. Hundred percent. And it's amazing how narratives shift before um, the series even touched down in Philly. The narrative was, oh, the Raptors are the deepest team. Yeah. Uh, they're the best five, uh, best best starting five in the East. And now it's like the Raptors uh, are soft. They have no bench. And no one's contributing. Those last things I said were, were are very much yeah. true. They're getting nothing from their bench, and I think that's part of what's hurting them. But today's game is so important because now we're going to see what the Raptors are all about. There's a lot of people out there calling them soft. Who's the one guy that went on the uh, Colin Coward show and called them soft? We'll have to look up his yeah, name. Chris Broussard. Was it Chris Broussard? Just basically said that the Raptors are soft. Did he also call out Canada? I think he said Canada is just in general soft, something like that. But it, it was really like he really called out Canada. He really called out the Raptors. So I think the Raptors really need to take a stand today. Yeah, I think that was really like clickbaity and on him oh, in terms the, of the coward shows all clickbait. Yeah, that's it. That's all it was for. Like you, all you have to do is say Canada. It's like they, they always refer to Toronto as 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 Canada's team. So it's the same thing with the Blue Jays, just because they really are Canada's only team in the professional league. So, but it's been the knock on the Raptors for the longest yeah. time that they're you know they're soft, they're too, um, they're too, they don't have it right. They often they often been called out before by Paul Pierce in the playoffs like three years ago. Actually, he did call out Canada. Yeah, he called out Canada as well. Here is here is his here is his uh, sort of condensed Chris Broussard comments. Yeah, on, on uh, heard with Colin Coward, he said, "Here's the thing about Toronto." Number one, let's just face it, they're soft. This is a soft team. It's been that way for the last five or six years. Canada is soft. Drake is a dope rapper, but he's a little soft. Wow. So he's literally pulling at the heartstrings of all of all the Raptor fans in terms of Drake and the Raptors, and then, like again, just shooting shots. I'm going to say at least 75% of what he said is clickbait. Yeah. But regardless, you're still calling out the Raptors, yeah. and you're still calling out Canada. So today... Raptors, if you're listening, Kawhi, Pascal, if you're playing or not, Marcus Saul, Danny Green, and yeah, you, Kyle Lowry, you are being called out by an American sports writer slash broadcaster 
you guys are being called soft. Canada's being called soft. Go out there and stuff it down the Philadelphia 76ers' throats. Come out and play with toughness. The, the, the thing with the Raptors is, though, their aggressiveness as a team all runs through Kyle Lowry. That's the problem. And he, and he hasn't been the Kyle Lowry that we've seen over the past four or five years. That pit bull Kyle well, Lowry. Say, he's playoff Kyle Lowry. It's like, I don't know what, yeah, so what goes on. You have playoff Kawhi who kills yeah. it. You have Kyle Lowry. Complete opposite. Playoff Kyle Lowry who just kind of, you don't see him. He's invisible. He hides. Seven points last game for Kyle Lowry. Five rebounds, five assists. That's not going to cut it. That's terrible. Should be sitting on the bench for those numbers. So right now, again, today, no Pascal Siakam. Pascal put up 20 the other day. Well, actually, we don't know if there's no Pascal Siakam for sure. You say he's doubtful, but it doesn't look good. I think they were, they were interviewing him, and it just seems like he's really hurt. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll find out. He's doubtful. This podcast comes out on Monday. We're, we're taping this right now on Sunday afternoon before the Raptors game. We don't know yet if uh, Pascal Siakam is going to be in the lineup, but if he's not in the lineup, that's 20 to 30 points that are usually automatically on um, the scoreboard that Pascal Siakam contributes, and those might not be there today. So who's going to step up? Well, who needs to step up? It's, you know, it's got to be Lowry. It's got to be Lowry. He's your yeah. guy. He's your point guard. He's supposed to be your veteran leader on the team. I mean, if, if they're going to be successful today, he has to take over. And, and if Siakam doesn't play, he's got to take over. He's got to have a double-double. He's got to have at least 20 points, and he's, and he's got to have at least 10 assists. He was also 2 for 10 on his field goals. He's got he's gonna do like that can't three point range too. Like the whole t- the team as a well, whole. He was zero for four on three yeah. pointers last yeah. game. Yeah, their their whole team is atrocious from the three point line. Danny Green was just ice. Um, for them to win today, they they gotta those three point figures have to have to go drastically improve today. I feel like Danny Green is not hitting the shots he he needs to make. Like he's. He's not hitting that three when we need him to hit it. When we need that big bucket. When we need that big, um, when we need that big three pointer. He's not getting it, and that's kind of his shtick, right? Well, he had that shot in uh, game two, wide open three to it was a tire win. Yeah, that's right. Completely. I think was it was it to take the lead in the dying seconds, and he bricked it. Yeah. Yeah. So he needs to be better, but the whole point of this. Mentality of that they need to be they need to play with a little more a little more grit, a little more passion, a little more desire. Is that when Lowry brings that, it kind of rubs off on the rest of the players. I feel like he's the engine that drives the Raptors. Kawhi is obviously the point producer, the best player on the court, the best two-way player in terms of offense and defense. But in terms of setting the tone, in terms of emotion, fight. Determination, it all stems from Kyle Lowry. And if he's gonna if he's gonna have this defeatist mentality and if he's not gonna show that and portray that and try to rub off on other players to play that style, then the Raptors are doomed. Uh, one point from Van Vliet last game from Freddie Van Vliet is also not good enough. Powell, six points, that's also not good enough. What's what's with Norman Powell? I don't know. What's with this whole bench mob? The whole the whole narrative the entire year was bench mob, bench mob. Well, that was last year too, right? Yeah, best bench in the NBA. 
and they just completely crapped the bed. In See, the it's it's crazy. Because shut off. Last year, they were saying the Raptors had the best bench in the NBA, but the narrative was. That's not going to win you an NBA championship because you can't. Your best players can't be coming off the bench. You're not going to win by having the best bench players in the NBA. You're going to win by having the best starting five. This year, it's like their bench is not as deep, but it's hurting them. So it's 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 almost it's two different narratives in two different years. And I think for the Raptors, they're having a hard time finding the balance between having a deep bench and the best starting five. I think it when it, I think it's in basketball, the way I see it, and you look at the other series, like Golden State and Houston. It, it's I think basketball is a completely different game than hockey. Well, of course it is. In hockey, depth and goaltending wins you a cup, hands down. In basketball, your stars win you titles. Right. Look at the other night. Look at that Golden State Houston game from the other night. Durant had. 46 points. How many minutes did he play? 50. He played 50 minutes. Went to overtime. Oh, okay. That's right. Overtime game, 46 points. James Harden had 41. Which is just the one over just one overtime. Just one overtime. Still 50 minutes is a lot. Eric Gordon had 30. Like you want to talk about players that are taking over games. Look at that Golden State Houston series. Their stars are winning the game for them. And then look at Portland, Portland, the That's Trailblazers. It. Lillard and McCollum winning them that series. There's also consistent scoring too. Like if you look at the Warriors, they're they're starting five. They all had double digit points. Green, Thompson, Curry, Durant, Iguodala, all double yeah. digit points. If you have consistent scoring from your starting five, you're gonna win. Right. Regardless of what your bench is, you can have the bench bench in the NBA. It doesn't matter. Your starting five and your stars in the NBA or the guys that lead you to Tampa. So I, I guess what we can learn from the whole narratives between the two years is that you, your starting five has to be great. They have to put up numbers, but you can't rely on your bench to win you games. No, because that's why they're on the bench. If you're a starter, you're expected to lead your team to wins. So I think that was the problem last year. Yeah. They were relying on their bench to yeah. win them games. Now, this year, they can't even get contribution from their bench yeah. when they need to, whether it's to uh, relieve someone or just provide that pop that they need off the bench. They don't have that this year. So having sa- having said that, um, sort of switching to in terms of like coaching, uh, somebody asked Nick Nurse a question. I think of playing playing Kawhi the whole game and saying, you know, you've rested Kawhi the whole season. He didn't play back to backs. You the whole narrative was we're saving him for the playoffs. And now you get to the playoffs and you start limiting his minutes. Right. What is that? Well, and you bring up a good point because personally I think Kawhi Leonard should be playing in the 40s. Absolutely. 42 minutes. But if you look at last game against the Sixers, he was still on the court when they were down by like 16 to 20 points in the fourth quarter. Just pull him off, rest him. And then put him out for yeah. 40, 42 to 45 today. I don't know. Like, like there's a, Kawhi Leonard, without Siakam, needs to be on the court a lot on Sunday afternoon. If he plays. If <coughs> Siakam plays. Well, if, if Siakam doesn't play, yeah. Yeah. But I think even regardless, this is a must win for the Raptors. I think Kawhi needs to play at least 42 either way. Yeah. I think if so no, Siakam, Siakam or no Siakam. If Siakam plays, he's going to be limited because he's hurt. 
That, right. the, the fact of the matter is he's hurt. Even if he plays, he's not going to be 100%. I think Lowry and Kawhi have to play the majority of the game tonight if they're going to win. It doesn't matter with the score. they got to play. Right. I mean, last game, I don't know if that was more of an ego thing where, like, Nick Nurse didn't want to show that he was that they're, like, surrendering and have the white flag out. And the huge because they, at the end of the game, they the Sixers pulled their starters. The fans are going crazy, obviously. But then Kawhi stayed out. I don't think he was subbed off until, like, the last couple minutes. But at that point, you have to say to yourself, okay, this game's over. This game's done. Let's, let's, move, let's move towards game four. Right. And let's prepare for that. And it's going back to what you said. If you know that you're down and out and, you, and your expectation is Siakam's hurt, he might not play, pull Kawhi out pull and up. play him the whole So maybe, maybe that's a bit of an experience on, on Nick Nurse's part. He's a first-year coach at the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the day right? Could be. Like, uh, I'm not going to criticize the guy too much. I think he's done a great job so far this year. But let's face it. Let's call a spade a spade. That's a little bit of an experience on his part. Uh, did you listen to Bob McCowan on Friday? Here and there. They were talking about um, the starting fives between Philly and the Raptors. Yes. You heard about that? Yeah. Did you hear Where what they were taking their like their picks on who, on they, who, they, have? who yes. they thought was a better starting five? Yes. McCowan said the Raptors have a better starting five. Do you agree or disagree with that? I disagree. Me I too. Think, I think the Sixers have a better a better starting five. So do I. I think the Raptors have the best player. Yes, they the Raptors are the best player, but as a whole, the Sixers have a much better starting five. So if you looked at um, if you look at the centers. Gasol versus Embiid. I mean, you, I think we're taking Embiid, right? Take Embiid. You take Marc Gasol if he was younger, like a younger Marc Gasol, or Embiid. I would, I would probably, make, I might take Marc Gasol. Yeah. Not now. Embiid. I think Embiid is a much more physically dominant center, and he's showing that he's a better shooter. He had thirty-three points last game. He had double double. Simmons and Lowry. I think McCowan took Lowry. I think just based off of Simmons's. Like Physical lack stature? of lack of a three point game, right? I would take Lowry because Simmons had Simmons. He didn't even he didn't even attempt a three pointer. So based it's off hard to get based a, off shooting alone, I would take. Yeah, Lowry. I, I guess I guess that's true because it's hard to get a grasp on what kind of player Simmons is. Yeah, he's still young. I mean, he's still developing his game. But he only had ten points in that game. Yeah, I, I would take Lowry over Simmons. I don't know if I would, but I can see why maybe McCowan and why you might. Why you might think that. Tobias Harris and um, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, obviously Kawhi, you're taking Kawhi. All day. All day. No question. Now, Redick is an X factor for the 76ers because if we have Danny Green and J.J. Redick. I would take J.J. Redick. I'd take J.J. Redick all day. 15 points. He's a much more consistent shooter. Very consistent shooter. Uh, in fact, three-pointers. Well, I think him and... Three for six. Like him and him and Danny Green, I think we're both three for six. They're both three for six from the arc. I, but I think the timing of Reddick's shots. I think I think Reddick is a more I think he's a more consistent shooter and I think he's a more clutch shooter than than Danny Green would be. I'd agree with that. 100%. I like JJ Reddick's game. I like him I like him a lot. He's the league. He's yeah. a Duke guy too, so Yeah. I think he's more consistent, yeah. and I think he's a little more – he has the clutch factor from the three-point line. 
Um, and then, yeah, I mean, no one's arguing the fact that the Raptors have the best player on the court in Kawhi Leonard. I think in terms of starting five, I'm going to give the edge to the 76ers. But what about, what about Siakam and Butler? That was an interesting one. I could go down, I could go down the middle and 50-50 on that. But when, when Jimmy Butler's on his game and he's fired up, he's so hard to and stop. And he's usually a Raptors killer. He's so hard to stop. Yeah. Even throughout his career, even he was with, with the Bulls, like he has really inconsistent games. Like sometimes he'll be on, but like last game, he was on fire and you could, he was one guy you just couldn't stop. Right. Um, I guess you can call it you can call it even there. But if you want to give if you have if to if you choose want to, throw it to experience, you give it to uh, Butler. That's a tough but one. McCallan, I'd go 50 McCallan, I think gave it to Siakam. Yeah, gave the edge. Well, I guess younger, right? He's younger. But it, it all depends what angle you want to look at it. Do you want to look at it from a an age perspective, or do you want to look at it from an experience perspective? Well, I don't really but, look at it experience wise because he hasn't really made many like deep runs attitude perspective we can give it to Siakam. confidence and attitude I would I don't know confidence I don't know which way to swing there but um, in terms I'm, of I'm stuck on that I'd go 50-50 yeah, yeah, I'd go 50-50 I'm undecided well. I'd give the slight edge to to the 76ers but I, I mean it is at the end of the day it's a very it's very competitive our starting five versus um, the 76ers starting five is obviously very competitive and I, I think in the East, it's it's the starting five that will rival the Raptors the most and give them the hardest time. Because I think I think if we're looking at looking at starting fives in the East. I think Raptors 76ers are one one two. I don't know which order. I think we're saying 76ers at, at the one spot, Raptors number two. And then if we look at the Celtics and we look at the, the Bucks, I think the Raptors have the edge in, in terms of the starting five. Again, assuming that Lowry plays like Kyle Lowry. If Lowry doesn't play like Kyle Lowry, then it's a whole different ballgame. But if we're just looking at the starting fives there, I think the Raptors do have the edge in a lot of teams, maybe except the 76ers. And you know, picking up Tobias Harris at the free agent deadline was big for the 76ers. Do you want to get into our new segment? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's introduce it. All right. So, new segment here on Purposely Offside. We're calling it Onside or Offside. So, essentially, if I can explain it for all our uh, listeners, it's it's your, like your classic uh, agree or disagree or cut or uncut that you've seen maybe on Tim and Sid. Um, I'm going to say a statement. Uh, usually we do this, you know, usually we have Brian on here. He's not on with us today. Uh, usually I'd say a statement and let you guys battle it out and I'd chime in. But I'm going to say a statement and we'll either have to agree onside or disagree with a statement offside. Does that make sense? All right. So let's start with this. Let's, uh, let's stay on uh, basketball for a sec. Giannis went to the free throw line 22 times. Is the NBA too biased towards its superstars? I would say onside because I completely agree that they are. Um, there's just too much history in terms of players on another team um, 
just sort of commenting and and I said it last uh, last podcast in terms of D'Antoni and uh, um, the Rockets as well. Like when you have a team that actually goes back and, and assesses their their fouls and or lack thereof, um, you know, it just seems like there there is a huge issue in the NBA with that. I mean, just even looking looking at the history between the Raptors and the officiating, even in this series, yeah, it's clearly evident that there is some lack of consistent officiating or you could call it bias towards some teams i think i think it is across all leagues there, there definitely is some you know talk about leagues being market driven or revenue driven i mean it, it goes to show like your your top teams and your big producing teams they want to push them to win because they drive in money for your league so once you start putting economics into you know into play here it does make sense that it can happen um but there's just so much evidence to show that they're that, that there so yeah i would say yeah on site i'm gonna go on site too i think this is something the raptors personally have struggled with it's uh getting the appreciation of the officials to get those calls and to go to the free throw line right so john has had 22 uh in a game uh I, irving was very critical of it which you know it Irving's probably one of those players that would get the benefit of the doubt and would get those calls from officials because he is that superstar and he does play for that big market in in Boston, right? Um, so I'm going to say onside because this is the biggest challenge for the Raptors. Look at Kawhi against the Orlando Magic. He wasn't getting half the calls he should have got um, and, and he didn't get half of the free throw attempts that he should have got because I'm going to assume he plays on the Toronto Raptors. Right, so there was a lot that Orlando was getting away with when Kawhi was driving the net. And I think when it comes to market, like you said, and it comes to player, that totally plays a factor in the way the officials call it. Right, Especially if it's the home team, mm-hmm. especially. Um, I don't think that was in this case. I think, the, I think the Bucks were on the road. If it was game two, the Bucks were at home. I have to double check that. I can't remember if this was game two or game three, but if it was game two, if it was game two, the Raptors, or sorry, the Bucks were at home. So I think sometimes the calls do favor the home team um, that obviously plays in a good market and has the superstar or superstars. Right? Second, so we, uh, you know, Vladdy finally up on the Blue Jays. Vladdy, right now, he has 26 at bats. He's played seven games. He's had a batting average of. on base percentage of 0.300 and he has one RBI is Vladdy no Vladdy sorry this is a statement Vladdy is still too young and raw to play in the major leagues I'm gonna go totally offside purposely offside purposely offside (laughs) on this one um he needs to play I mean you look at his history in the minor leagues. He's destroying minor leagues. He's at that point right now where he's too good for the minor leagues, but he's he's not good for the major leagues. I mean, this is it's it's typical of uh, this guy's twenty. You know, it's his first time playing the majors. You're playing against some of the best pitchers in the world. You're playing against some of the best teams in the world. This is the major leagues. You have a twenty year old that's coming into a situation where he's he needs to develop. Um, and I think that people, there, there's so much hype around this kid that I think most of the fans or even the media 
we're just expecting this kid to just come in and just start crushing home runs and just completely take over this team and just dominate. Whereas he's just showing uh, that he's just another average, not average, but he's just another uh, MLB rookie that needs to find his game. He needs to learn about obviously taking better pitches, um, you know, speed of the ball, just to, just to sort of get out of this sort of deer in headlights moment where he's 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 here he's made it um there could also be there's got to be a significant amount of pressure on him as well that's probably getting to him um he's new to canada i mean obviously his dad played in canada before so he's not new to canada but um you know it's a new language he's dealing with the media on a daily basis where it's all english speaking he has a translator so there's a lot of things that he needs to um, get comfortable with and, and also develop his game at the same time so I think with Vladdy is I think people need to just sort of take a step back and sort of get take this pressure off him first and foremost and just allow him to settle in with the team and and develop his game it's not it's not going to be he's not going to have an immediate impact on the team he's going to need to take time I think baseball is just one of those sports where um, once you get to the big leagues it's just a completely different level of game he's going to need that time to develop I'm going to go offside as well, uh, and I agree with you. Baseball is like the most studied sport out there, right? Teams are always scouting, teams are always looking at film of pitchers, of batters, of everything. Like it has the mo- in terms of analytics, baseball is number one. And I think a lot of these other major sports are following uh, baseball when it comes to analytics and statistics. There's literally, like there, all the teams in the ALEs, all the teams in the Major League Baseball that have the Jays in their schedule, they've all been scouting uh, Vladdy Guerrero in terms of what he likes to do, what he hits on, what he doesn't hit on. Um, and the, the pitchers adjust to it. Pitchers are very good in, in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Right? They look at his tendencies and they, they came up with a strategy to try to get him out. So this is a guy who's coming in fresh. He is a raw talent. He is young doesn't have much experience in Major League Baseball. And he's a, he's just a rookie. He's 20 years old. Is he 19 or 20? I think he's I think he's 19. I think we, like you said, we need to lower our expectations a little bit on Vladdy Guerrero and just let the kid play. He's not going to come in. I, I think a lot of us, and you hear it on the radio too, uh, you hear it from sports writers, from MLB columnists, they expected, a lot, a lot of people expected him, especially in Toronto, to come in and just hit some dingers, hit some home runs, and maybe even have a home run by now. The kid's young. He's learning a lot. There's a lot to learn in, in Major League Baseball. It's, there's a lot to learn pitcher to pitcher too. You're facing different guys every single night. So it, it's, def- it's difficult to make those adjustments. And he just needs a little bit of time, right? He hit his first RBI. I'm sure that was a huge weight off his shoulders. Hit his first RBI last night. And I'm sure by the end of the season, we're going to see a progression of Vladdy Guerrero. But to say that this kid has to come into the majors and start crushing it, I think it's a, it's a little realistic. It's a little unrealistic, sorry. He's 20 years old, okay? Confirmed. Vladdy Guerrero, 20 years old. Uh, let, let's let him be a 20-year-old. And let's not be too uh, quick to judge his production or lack of production uh, so far on the Blue Jays. Um, this market, Toronto, was screaming for Vladdy Guerrero to, to get here. 
So let's just all be a little patient. This is a guy that you guys, that, that are us, I should say, the Toronto fans wanted on the team last year and questioned why he wasn't in the opening day lineup this year. Right? Let's let this 20-year-old kid, let's let Vladdy Guerrero settle into the majors. Seven games. I think we all just got to make a relax. All right. Number three. Liking this segment so far? Yeah. Nathan McKinnon is the best player in hockey. It's a tough one. At this moment. I would say offside. Because I still think Connor McDavid is the best player in hockey. If we're judging by a playoff success currently, then yes, I think Nathan McKinnon is the best player at the moment. But in terms of uh, holistically, in terms of all of the NHL, I think Connor McDavid is still number one. It's got to be. But Nathan McKinnon, I would say at this point, Nathan McKinnon is starting to overtake Crosby. Yeah, I, think I, I can agree. As like that. a number two, number three is the best player in the in the NHL. Right. I think I think that's close, but no, I I still think Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL. So I'd go offside. I'm gonna disagree with you. I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go. Onside. I think he is the best player in hockey right now. And I, I, I get what you're saying about uh, Connor McDavid. Um, obviously, he's incredible, but I'm, you know, I, I, sometimes I have recency bias as well. And I look at a guy like uh, Nate McKinnon, a team in Colorado that's not too deep, but fortunately, they have a coach that actually does play him 22 to 25 minutes a game. Uh, they have a coach that recognizes the talent he is. And their coach puts them and puts Nathan McKinnon in situations to make that team successful. All right. And if you look at Colorado's roster, it's not the it's not the most deep roster. It's it's not a deep roster by any means in the NHL. They have Philip Grubauer in net. And we're we're talking about that Connor or Connor McGregor. Nathan McKinnon, I don't know why I said Connor McGregor. Nathan McKinnon is, you know, he's he's kind of putting that team on his shoulders a little bit. Mind you, he plays with some great players, like Miko Rantanen. And they're but but the, the Colorado Avalanche are a very top-heavy team. The difference is their big guys are producing. Nathan McKinnon's producing. I think right now, he is one of the top players in the NHL. He might even be the top player in the NHL. And I totally agree. He is. I think he did take over Sidney Crosby. Um, so I'm going to go onside. I, I like his game. I like what Nathan McKinnon has shown in the playoffs. And I think that's where it really counts. It's getting to the playoffs. It's producing in the playoffs. And he's done it. Connor McDavid hasn't been to the playoffs yet. Or he's been in the playoffs once. Not that that's any. Not that that's his fault. It's not. No, it's, it's not McGregor. Track. It's not uh, McDavid's fault. I don't know why. Why do I keep saying Connor McGregor? Uh, it's not McDavid's fault. But then again, Nathan McKinnon is doing everything in his power to get to the Avalanche, uh, to get the Avalanche to the playoffs, and get them succeeding in the playoffs. Right, and he's been every bit productive for that team. So I'm on the Nathan McKinnon train. And I kind of wanted to disagree with you on on something. So number four, last one. This one will fire you up a little bit. Probably fire me up a little bit. Brad Marchand should have got um, should have gotten a suspension for a sucker punch to the back of the head of Scott Harrington. I 
I hate to do this, but I'm going to say offside. So you disagree? I disagree. I don't think, and this is crazy to say because I, I can't stand Boston and Marshawn, but I don't think it was a play that's warranted a suspension. 100%, it should have been a penalty. But I don't think it was, what's the right word, egregious enough to warrant a suspension. Um, I know a lot of people are calling for it, so, you know, because of where it was, he was on his knees, it was a sucker punch to the back of the head. Um, I don't think it was like, egregious enough to warrant a suspension. It wasn't a, a, a dangerous, it, it is a dangerous play because whenever you're, you're involving hits to the head, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, everyone's on this whole train, but like, you thought it was injuries. more just like a little sucker punch than it, actual punch. Yeah, it didn't, it seemed like a cheap shot, but it didn't seem like a dangerous hit that could have significantly injured someone or I don't think even caused injury. Um, we're going to go back to the Leaf series where like a Kadri where he came out and literally cross checked a guy in the throat where it could have been a really serious injury. I don't think it was egregious enough to warrant a suspension. It definitely should have been, well, the game was over by then, but it should have definitely been a, a penalty. So I'm going to say offside. hate to say it, but offside. So, yeah, so you disagree that he should have got a suspension. I'm going to go onside. I think Brad Marchand should have gotten a suspension, and I'll tell you why. You might think, and a lot of people do, that it was just a little aimless, harmless Sucker punch. Fact of the matter is, Scott Harrington is on his knees in a defenseless position. And I don't care if it's to the front of the face. I think it's worse that he hit him in the back of the head. Luckily, he's wearing yeah. a helmet. But that's a hit to the head. What I don't... And a lot of people agree with you. A, lo, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of journalists that are in hockey have said similarly to what you have said. And I don't get it. Why not a suspension? Marshawn has the history. He's a little bit of a grease ball in terms of he does he does these stupid things. That's just our dog. Uh, that's my dog, by the way. Milo, welcome to the podcast. Um, he has the history. And I just don't understand why, I understand why not. He licked Leo Komarov in the face last year. He's known for doing stupid things whether it's slew footing someone licking someone in the face and in this case punching someone in the back of the head plus i mean like i said he has a history of being suspended i don't understand why the nhl doesn't come down hard on brad marchand i feel like he gets away with everything and i'm not saying he should be suspended for four games even though I, I might have trigger happily um, tweeted that four games on my Twitter account. I don't think he should be suspended for four games, but maybe one, maybe one game. Brad Marchand has the history and the track record to suspend and to discipline. And in my opinion, there's something there. Okay, it's contact with the head. The guy's, Scott Harrington's in a defenseless position. I don't understand how 
it's not even a it wasn't even a finable offense. Don't you don't you find that a bit like interesting and, and odd that it, it, he didn't get fined? And a lot of people say it's just a two minute it's just a two minute power play. That's what that's all that was missed is a Blue Jackets two minute two minute power play. So I don't know how, how do you you can respond to that like you can respond to anything I I say even though it's more. Well, my, I think that if, take. You're, if you're gonna go and find a guy like it's a little different like in the NBA you got guys getting fined left and right for plays but I mean it does happen in the NHL too but not as costly I guess to some of the fines you see in the NBA but if you're gonna go that way and say we're gonna fine him then there should be a review for a suspension and if you go to that point you look at his history where he has previous suspensions he's getting suspended rather than um, just fine. So I think that the NHL's look at it was, okay, if we're going to go that road and look at fining him, then there has to be a review of suspension, obviously because of his history of suspension, similar to Kadri faced uh, in the Boston series as well. So it's either they were going to let it go and not review it, or they would have to go as far as reviewing him for a suspension. And I think the NHL just took the road. It wasn't uh, as egregious as I thought. And it just sort of kind of goes back to our point about officiating as well. And, and, um, sort of bias towards some teams. I think everyone in the in the league will agree that Boston, and especially with Marshawn, is one of those teams that just consistently gets away with. And, and that's what frustrates me is I don't understand why they're always getting away with everything, especially Marshawn. Like it, it feels like he can do these little things, but if Kadri does it, it's like under this huge microscope. And I understand Kadri hasn't really helped this cause, but neither has Marshawn. Marshawn has a dirty past. So I just don't know why all of us just sit there and say, ah, it's just Brad Marchand just doing Brad Marchand things. Review the case. Issue at least a fine. They missed a penalty on Marchand. I just don't know why we continue. I mean, I find the NHL is a little soft on him. A little soft on the Bruins in general. I think they're a little soft on Chara too. So a lot of non-calls in that Leafs-Bruin series that weren't called on Chara, maybe because he's, you know, experienced, he's a veteran. They feel bad for him because he's lost a step or two in terms of speed. The game's too fast. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel the Bruins get away with a lot. And Marshawn, to me, got away with at least a one-game suspension and a fine because I don't think you should ever hit someone in the back of the head that's in a defenseless position. At least, like, it's one thing if you're in a scrum and you give him a little face wash, a little glove, a little love tap to the face. But that wasn't the case here. So that concludes onside or offside. All right, little segment we'll do each week. We should uh, post these uh, questions individually on our Twitter as well. Absolutely. I mean, let us know of your thoughts too. I mean, if you have any uh, comments or rebuttals to any of our takes as well, just feel free to comment. Um, like I said, go like, subscribe. We're on all across all platforms to start a podcast. So we'll get these questions posted and we, we want to hear your thoughts too. Yeah, I'll post these questions on our Twitter. You can follow us at PO Sports Talk. I'll post these questions on our Instagram, purposely underscore offside. Comment below. Let us know what you think. You can agree with us. You can disagree with us. Makes for good discussion. Gives us a, even gives us a little more to talk about here on Purposely Offside on the podcast. So let's transition. Let's continue with hockey. Right. Let's continue with uh, with what's going on in the NHL right now. We have obviously our Leafs are out. 
All right, so we're not really going to touch them right now. There's a lot to talk about with them, but that'll come later in the summer with cap issues and all that. I mean, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that after. I don't know. But I think the biggest story in the NHL right now are the jerks. Bunch of jerks as far as I'm concerned. Still, still. We talked about it on our first couple of podcasts, and there's a lot of hate against them, but... Um, first I'm, podcast, I'm, I'm coming we, around to these guys, man. Well, first podcast, we went off, me and Brian went off, on how we hated those celebrations. We hated the surge, as they called it. You loved it. I love it. And it seems to have brought this team together. You, I mean, I think you argued that back in, I think it was like beginning of March or end of March, sorry, where we when we started this podcast, that it did something to unify the fans, unify the team. And I guess in hindsight, you're right. I still didn't like the way they were celebrating, but clearly they got something here. So last night, or was it Friday night, the Carolina Hurricanes officially knocked out the New York Islanders in four games. Stunning. The New York Islanders won as many games in the second round as the Toronto. I saw all the jokes about, uh, I saw someone tweet uh, after Friday or it was early Saturday, they're saying that uh, John Tavares and the New York Islanders won as many as the same amount of games in the second round. Yeah, that's round. right. I saw that too. I saw one of that too. That was Hilarious. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty witty. clever. Yeah, it's clever. Yeah. So jokes on you, Islander fans. So what's what's with the Carolina Hurricanes? I think that's what we all want to know. I think for starters, and they really touch base on it in Hockey Night Canada. It's Rod Brindamore. I think they finally have a good coach that knows how to lead a team. I mean, you're talking about a guy who led them to a cup when they won it in 2006. Um, he was always a great player, and uh, I forget who was talking about it. I think it was um, McCowan or it was the CBC panel as well. They are talking about how they felt that Bill Peters could only take that team so far and then Brindamore came in and is sort of pushing him to the brink of another. It's it's crazy to Bill say. Bill Peters but was a cup systematic run. coach. Yeah, he's a systematic system. coach, but he couldn't. He didn't know how to lead and inspire a team to play under that system. And there were comparisons to Mike Babcock and the Toronto Maple Leafs. See, well. we say we're never going to. We coach. say we're not going to talk Toronto. I hate, literally I hate going back, but we're going back to them. I mean. There, There's always there things we can compare. There is comparisons to comparisons. that as well. Well, because uh, Babcock is a system coach. Yes. So uh, that begs the question, can Babcock r- rally his troops? Can Babcock inspire his players to play? We're going to find out. But because it's inspiring what mm-hmm. Rod Brindamore is doing with that yeah. group. And it, and it proves that it's not all about system. I think you have to have a you have to have a style of play. You have to have a system, mm-hmm. but it's not all about system. Forward, forward one should be here. Forward two should be. It's not all about that. Yeah. I think a little bit is about hustle, determination, heart, wanting to win, and I think that's what Brindamore has brought to this team. Well, they say that he, the the thing about him is, he doesn't talk to his players like he's a coach. He talks to them like he's a player and he's a leader, like he's one of the guys on the team still. He doesn't have that sort of um, coach-player mentality. 
He's okay. very personal with his players, and he's he's all about. So you're, I, I all think, about what you're players. saying is he sounds like a player's coach. Yes. Okay, so this is where my it does it does work for some teams, and it doesn't work for others. And that's the thing, right? It, it all it all depends on. It all depends on what type of team you have. We know that the NHL is the biggest copycat league out there. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when a team wins a cup, I think a lot of teams analyze, okay, what did they do to win that cup? Or, or even if a team makes it deep in the playoffs, what did they do to get there? Yeah. And I remember the one year uh, when Pittsburgh won the Stanley Cup um, back in, I think it was two seasons ago. Yeah, they went back-to-back. The one where they lost Latang for, like, the whole playoffs? This is, yeah, it was the second cup they won in the back-to-back. A lot of the people said, okay, well, you don't need top-notch defensemen to win a cup because Latang was out. They had, I think, they had, like, Nick Schultz playing defense. They didn't have the deepest blue line in the league. They had Ron Hainsey on that team, hence why, you know, the Leafs went out and grabbed them. So people started saying, okay, we don't have to focus on our defense. Let's focus on our offense. And we'll plug in two, three million dollar players in our defense. But that doesn't always work. That doesn't guarantee you. Uh, that doesn't guarantee you winning. Winning is not guaranteed because you copied the format of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. Uh, then last year, people said, "Okay, well, you need two quality goaltenders to make it deep into the playoffs and potentially to win a cup." Because the Capitals star- started Philip Grubauer last year. Got chased out. Holpe came in. Well, Pittsburgh did that too with Murray and Flurry. They did, yeah. They won. Flurry played the whole season, was struggling. Murray comes in, steals him a cup or wins him a cup. Point is, the NHL is all about copying mm-hmm. what previous teams did to, to well, succeed. Well, the Leafs keep. To, or you hear the narrative with the Leafs too is, oh, we got to model the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, they always talk about always that talk with about Kane that. and Taves, and they got Matthews and Marner. Like, there's always that narrative. We need to copy the Blackhawks because they were a dynasty. And they, well, you don't know if that same chemistry, that same system, is going to work. Because let's face it, that cup run was ten years ago. And I think you 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 come you bring up a good point as well. Who was the other team? I mean, we talked about Pittsburgh. It wasn't only the lack of defensemen, but the um, the power up the middle that Pittsburgh had. Oh, you got to have two, three very good centers, strong centers. Who has that now? Toronto. Does it guarantee them victory? No. But yeah, you're 100% right. They try to copy those big teams that make it far into the playoffs and usually win a cup. Look at LA. Everyone was trying to copy LA because they thought you needed 6'5", yeah. 240. Heavy hockey. Heavy hockey. Did it, did it work? No. Hockey actually trended the other way. Skill. Um, and speed, not so much physicality and size. So now I, I have a feeling that that people in certain organizations are going to be vouching for coaches that are not, not so system focused, coaches that are players' coaches. But I don't know how far that can go with certain teams, and I don't know if a players' coach is always the best way to go for certain teams. I think it also depends on the type of talent you have in your team too. Cause I think if you look at like Carolina is a group of players who they're not the most talented team in the league. They have very talented players like Ajo's great. Tara Vine's a good player, but they're more of a team of players that are 
you, you got a lot of salary dumps and you got a lot of like just the guys that were outcasts from their team that just like were just dumped on Carolina because they were a low market team that had a ton of cap space and they were just guys that were getting traded for picks and stuff like that so like Carolina is a team where they have a lot of outcast players who need that sort of inspiration and sort of leadership to sort of band together as a team and and prove themselves whereas you have a team like a you know like a Pittsburgh or an Edmonton where you have some of the best players in the world on your team that don't need that sort of I want to say like inspiration or leadership because they are those types of players. They need systems that make them work for them. Yeah. So I think it, I think every team has to approach differently because you have to look at your team as a whole and say, what kind of guys do we have in our room? What kind of leaders do we have in our room? And what what's the best style of play for the guys that we have? Yeah, like I every team has, You can't just be like, all right, we're going to go and we're going to model it after Chicago or Pittsburgh and then that's it because it – if you don't have the players for that and they're not buying into that, you're not going to be able to play that style unless you're building yeah. a team from scratch like they did with Vegas. Right. Where you can do that, then I think you really just have to take a look at what you got. And I think that's what that's what Carolina's done. They said, what team do we have? How can we how can we win with this out of team? And, and Rod Brindamore's apparently done that. It's an interesting conversation because it's almost – it's been a very weird playoffs – the weirdest playoffs I've ever seen. And it almost makes you ask and ask the question, you know, what team are people going to copy? Because the NHL is all about copying other teams' success. And I just look at the success of Rod Brindamore, and some teams are just going to say to themselves, well, how can we, how can we find a coach to get the best of our players? Or, or is the coaching style going to change? Should we practice less system and more player interaction, player rapport? It's interesting, but clearly Rod Brindamore has he's he's found something he's identified something in that team because he they are totally behind him, and it's kind of it, I was down on the Hurricanes before I was very critical of them in terms of their surge and their celebrating after the games and how they celebrated I should say, but they're pretty inspiring to watch right now, and it's amazing what that heart and determination can do. Because we're talking about a team that eliminated the Islanders who swept the Pittsburgh Penguins in four. And they dominated the Washington Capitals. Yeah. After getting blown well, out. They were down 3-1, but I think... Yeah. They, they came back after getting blown out, and everybody thought they were down and out. They came in and just completely outplayed Washington and just shocked them. Which I thought so that that's very impressive. When you can come back and you're down and out like that, you got a, you got a defending Stanley Cup champion team. You have one of the best players in the world in Vechkin, and you just come back and you win that series, stunning fashion. Then you just come in and just blow out the Islanders and dominate them. That's very impressive on a team that doesn't. It probably has the least skilled team in the in the playoffs right now. Yeah, by far. Well, they don't have any ten million dollar players. We know that. No. So it was the first time, I think, since 1993 that a team lost 4-0 after winning the first round 4-0. So the Islanders out in four games, again, after sweeping Pittsburgh 4-0 in the first round. Carolina's off to the Eastern Conference Finals. They'll either face the Boston Bruins or the Columbus Blue Jackets. Right now, it looks like the Boston Bruins... 
it looks like their experience is coming to fruition right now. The Boston Bruins are an experienced hockey team, and they're really showing that right now because they they know how to win games. Boston, they just it's there's no way to quantify it or to break this down. The Boston Bruins know how to win hockey games. It's like when they when they say to themselves, "We're we're winning." Hmm. There's. That's it. It's impressive. When they want to play, they, they come out yeah, and play. It's impressive. Game three, they had to win that game in Columbus. They win it 4-1. Play, they played a great hockey game. Pure, like, classic Boston Bruin hockey. Shut down hockey. And, and you know, their, their players are always coming to play. Patrice Bergeron never has a game off. He never takes a game off. He's always consistent. And now Pasternak's heating up. Krejci's playing. Like Krejci's Krejci. playing He's He's... he's the unsung hero of the Boston Bruins is David Krejci. It's it's almost it makes me so mad because Boston is the most spoiled fan base in all of sports. Yeah, all their teams know how to win. The Boston Bruins just, they just know how to win, and it's tough to it's tough to beat that. You know, Toronto had a hard time. They had a hard time closing out the Bruins at home in Game Six because the Bruins know how to win. A lot of that's experience. A lot of that is just culture. And you know the Bruins have that going for them. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna close out Columbus next game. Yeah, Tortorella was confident it's gonna go to seven, but I think no, I think Boston's gonna. They'll win. That. Boston has home ice. Yeah, which win. means something for them. I know it hasn't meant a lot in these playoffs, but I think for Boston, it still means something. That crowd's pretty, uh, pretty rowdy. Gets behind their team. Um, last, I mean, we didn't. Do, I mean, we finished up with Carolina. We didn't mention Don Cherry's comments last night. Don Cherry basically called the whole Carolina fan base a bunch of bandwagoners, and basically said, "Well, you were telling me because you you actually watched it live, right?" When he was saying it, yeah. He had a he had a very interesting classic Don Cherry take on the whole thing. Um, he still hasn't come around to them. He hates them. He hates them. Uh, which I, I understand where kind of he's coming from. He's an old school guy, obviously. Um, he he loves that old time hockey. Still, he's the guy that's never going to shake it. That's just that's just who he is. He he loves that old time hockey, and he he always talks about it. But I think he just does. He's not embracing the new age NHL. He's really still stuck in his ways, which I think a lot of people are getting really sick and tired of. And you see it online on social media and stuff. Some people absolutely love him, and some people absolutely hate him. But that's how Don Cherry. I think he's showing been. his age a little bit. He is starting to show his age, and, he, and the fact that he's not adjusted to this new thing, I think it's just showing that you know, in terms of like coach's corner and times, his time is going to end soon. I think. Um, well, I think know, he might keep the position until he wants it. it. Yeah, he'll he'll tell them when he's done, but. Uh, this is what it's starting to get to a point where I, I'm really disagreeing with a lot of his points. Um, he he basically doesn't he doesn't like the Hurricanes because he no. didn't like their um, their after yeah. game celebrating the surge. I, I didn't I like it either, but but I, I he still hasn't even given them much love on Coach's no. corner. He doesn't he hasn't acknowledged the fact that they're actually a good hockey team. They're a good hockey. I team, think he yeah. just sees that like they're all oh, they're gimmicky. Yeah. And like they're just using it just to win over fans, but like he's not really accepting the fact that they're actually a good team, and, and they back up what they're what they're preaching, sort of. And I think the point he was getting to last night, and this is this I can kind of agree with. If you look at the Carolina Hurricanes, they do have a pretty good team. Slavin is a great defenseman. 
Dougie Hamilton's playing some great hockey, mm-hmm. especially Justin in the second Falk's half. Great. Justin Falk, Jordan Stahl, the resurgence of Jordan Stahl in this team. Yeah. Sebastian Ajo. Who's unreal. He's phenomenal. Brett Pesci on defense. Like, yeah. they're actually a, Justin Williams. I don't think it, Justin Williams. The most, one of the most clutch guys in hockey, yeah. Justin Williams. So, I, I they have a good club. I don't think you have any superstars there. Although Slavin is honestly, I think progressing uh, towards a superstar. Yeah, I think Aho will be, and Aho might here be. He hasn't been. He's one of the best players on their team, but not a household name yet because of where they play. But I think what he's Don Cherry's trying to get at is, yeah, Carolina has a good hockey team, but the fans are only there because they're winning. If this team flakes out in the next round. Boston or the Columbus Blue Jackets beat them out. What's their attendance look like in game one next year? I think it's back down to 13, 12 to 13,000. I think that's what he's saying. He's like, you only got 19 to 20,000 people in that arena in Carolina because of their success. Naturally, it's not a hockey market. So winning is what's bringing people to the arena. Well, you also have to look at what might there might be a culture change in Carolina because they have new ownership. They actually have a guy that owns the team now that actually really cares about their team. Like he, he seems like a really stand up guy. Like you even saw him in the in the box. He's like wasn't even dressed in a suit. He was wearing Hurricanes gear. His whole family was there. Um, with the recent purchase of this team, I think you're going to see an owner that actually wants to see this team be very successful. And I think he's going to want to change the culture in Carolina to actually making it become a hockey city again. One hundred percent. But that's but, not always on the power of the owner. That's the fans that have to buy in. And but if, the ownership will lead to that because they have to market the team properly. They have to attract fans and keep them. And that's the job of their team is to keep fans. And I think one, you do that by making. The sport, well, it's tough because in the South area, football, which is massive, football, college basketball, like college basketball, can't compete with North Carolina. That's a very tough market to compete in because of the strength of those other sports. But you can slowly start to build that by having a good owner. You have to you have to have a good team on the ice, or else no one's going to watch. That's obvious. And then you have to make it attractive to see that and entertaining. And that's what Carolina is trying to do. Like, you can't just you can't just go off the back of these original six teams that have had fan bases for a hundred years. Um, these are new market teams, and you saw it last year with Vegas. They were very flashy in terms of like pregame stuff, social media, doing stuff to attract fans to the, get to the games. And then once they get to the games, they have a good product on the ice because they have a very good team. But I, I think it's easier to attract fans in Vegas than it is Carolina. I think it is just based on the fact that there's no other teams there. But there will be, though, because they're going to have to compete with the Raiders. Well, and, and it's like a destination, right? Yes. Like, like someone's, like, like, yeah, people, sure. people go to Carolina. That's for sure. Right? But, but odds are more Canadians each year probably go to Vegas than yeah. do Carolina, right? And those Canadians are going to go watch hockey games. They're going to go watch the Leafs. They're going to go watch Vancouver, Calgary, uh, or even Boston fans. They're going to travel to Vegas to watch their teams. It's such a destination-focused um, area, I think it's it's easier to get. It's also a larger city. It's too. a larger city. It's easier to get fans out there. Yeah. The question is, okay, yeah, Carolina is going to continue this success on the ice and off the ice in terms of their attendance for the rest of the playoffs as far as they make it. Well, what's next year? 
Like, are, are well, they have to? They they have to be a good team next year. They can't just fizz out, fizzle out, and not make the playoffs. But I don't think there's no guarantee that they're going to have nineteen thousand fans showing up consistently to any games next year. And I think that's what Don Cherry is he's getting at. I think he says it in a very old traditional, yeah, kind of Don Cherry way. But in a way, he's right in a sense that I don't think these fan, if there's no success in Carolina this year, the fans are not necessarily going to care. So, do they bring back the surge? Well, look. At, well, if you want to look at that, look at the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are in Toronto. They're they're a massive team. They're, they're a well known name in the MLB. They have terrible attendance. Yeah. Why? Because they're not winning, and they have no team. And the young the young fans of the Blue Jays only go when they're succeeding. That's they only it. watch it's, when they're succeeding. It's easy to say. The older fans watch, like yeah, like you have diehard baseball 40, fans, like like uh, like baby boomers. People in their 40s, 50s, mm-hmm. 60s, they watch religiously the Blue Jays. They might go to the games, yeah. but young fans, maybe like me or you, or those um, younger than us, we're, we're what, 28, they're only going when they succeed. be interesting to see the um, broadcast numbers. Like if you're looking at throughout the season, okay, they're getting like not even 10,000 fans to a game, but how many people are watching the game? Yeah. It's easy to say like, okay, the team's not good, or it's not attractive enough to go to the game, but I'm going to watch the game. The same thing with like the Blue Jays. I'm not I'm not motivated enough to go and pay money to go watch them this year, but I'll watch them on TV. You might go for the five dollar beers too. Maybe. But that's something to attract fans, right? That, that's something the Blue Jays yeah. are doing to attract a yeah. younger audience, right? So yeah, it's it's what's Carolina gonna do success, next year? It doesn't matter to attract Su- younger success audience. will breed interest. That's natural. It's natural. That's like natural. If, if you have a team that's been bad for years, Carolina's been bad for years up until recent years when they started drafting well and started attracting better players. But but they always seem to make these playoff runs. Yeah, like success success determines your attractiveness. Yeah. And what's the what's the common denominator with all these other teams and all these other leagues that are constantly attracting fans? One, yeah, they got big markets. But two, they're they're successful teams. They're teams that have won multiple championships. They have the history there. Whereas. You know, you have to give these small market teams a shot to actually succeed. And by doing that, you have to be good for years. And you have to build a fan base slowly. They also had bad ownership, going back to that too. And like I said, moving forward, if you have an owner that actually cares about this team and wants to build a winner, they'll do whatever they can, whatever it takes to succeed. And I think this is an owner that actually gives a shit about this team and this market and wants to make them team. So I think that's really quick to judge and say that you have a bunch of bandwagoners. But I think you'll have to give it time now with this new ownership group to see what they can build. And th- I mean, this was my argument, not not to extend this argument anymore, but just to add this point. I, I think where we're, I saw it from our first conversation of the Carolina Hurricanes back at the end of March when they were doing the surge was that, yeah, this is a newer franchise in terms of how long they've been in the NHL. But it's not like they haven't had success. They won a cup. They won a cup. Yeah. So my point long was... long time ago, mind you, but... The interest should be there because you have a franchise that occasionally... Yeah, okay, they might not always make the playoffs, but when they do, they seem to go pretty far. And they, you, you guys have a Stanley Cup. The Carolina Hurricanes won a cup in 2006. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this day and age in non-hockey markets, maybe you do need that sideshow stuff. And as, as sad as it is to stay, as unprofessional as it might look, maybe you need it. I think in the day of, in the era of social media now, it's huge. Yeah. Because now you have more broader sort of attention and viewership because now you're not just like, back in like 2006, you're only getting attention either locally or within the hockey world 
But now that you have Twitter and Instagram and you're able to just broadcast and, and promote yourself to anyone, I think that it, you might start to attract more either attention or, or even fans just by, by that alone. I think that's, that's a real, also another big difference between then and, and now is that, is that social media changes the game for everything in terms of sports yeah. and, and viewership. Carolina is an interesting story. I I know I was critical of the surge, but honestly, their on ice performance has been very inspirational. I like that they. I'm kind of root for them. I like that they stopped the celebrations once the playoffs began. I yeah. thought they were going to go and keep doing it in the playoffs, but I like that they they made the decision to say, you know what, let's stop with the antics and let's, let's actually focus, on, focus on winning. And I think, but I think it goes to your point earlier. It's something they'll bring back next year to bring back fans, potentially. I okay, I'm gonna throw a hot take out here. If they win the cup, I think you're Not gonna happening. see a storm surge with the cup. I th- I was thinking wow. about it the other night, and I think you're gonna see a celebration with the cup if well, they win. Did it. you see like the Stanley Cup has its own Twitter account? I don't know if anyone knows that. That's what made me think of it. Was was the Stanley yeah, Cup Twitter? Yeah, you must have saw it. I saw it. Yeah, that's what made me think of that. I can't remember what the exact tweet was, but it was something along the lines of what would a storm surge look with me in it? Yeah. Like if the Stanley cup has its own Twitter account, it's called the Stanley cup. You can look it up on Twitter. Um, yeah. I wonder what a surge in my honor would look like. That's it. I, I don't think they're winning the cup though. That's a little, that's a little much of a, that's a stretch. Dallas is playing well. St. Louis is playing well. Boston's playing well. I think Carolina's, I think making the cup final is, is as far as they'll go. I don't even know if they'll make it past the... It depends who they face, too. But I think if they face the Bruins in the conference finals, I think it ends there. Nonetheless, a great story. A great story. Yeah. But they also have... Well, we won't get much to, we, we won't get into this too much. They have Curtis McElhinney in that. I don't know if Curtis McElhinney can get them to a cup final, win a cup final. Maybe Morazic and McElhinney as a one-two pair. I don't know. We'll get to that another time. But speaking of uh, Curtis McElhaney, let's uh, let's get on with our three stars of uh, of the week. Number one, you want to go with number one? Number one, we just mentioned him, Curtis Mack. Yeah, Curtis McBackup. Curtis McBackup. McBackup. Can I get a McBackup, please? Curtis McElhaney. The funniest thing here, I think we went record uh, uh, this show for talking. Uh, almost no Leafs. So kudos to us. But how can we not talk about the Leafs when we're just mentioning Curtis McElhinney as one of the first stars of the week? Unbelievable. It's crazy. He's the oldest oldest goalie to ever win a first playoff start. So he came in in game number two, relieved Mrazek, then won that game. I don't think he officially got the win. Came in game three and four, won for Carolina. To and sweep he played, the Islanders. He played awesome. Played great. He played phenomenal. See, obviously uh, Mike Babcock really liked McElhaney because he had some great games for Toronto. He was an unbelievable backup. All the production you need from a guy coming off the bench. But he's not the reason the Leafs are out. Absolutely not. He might be a reason for the rift and disconnect between Dubis and Babcock because they had two different views on McElhaney. But it's a shame that uh, that we let him go. Although he would have made no difference in the playoffs. Maybe not maybe, the playoffs. I think maybe the, the season in, in yeah. the regular season. 
you want to talk about getting home ice? Yeah, I know. Those losses where you had Garrett Sparks in net, those are those are losses or wins I know. that potentially determine if you're getting home ice or not. That could be the difference. That that is what Yeah. But he might have been upset about this. It has no And who knows, maybe they uh maybe they rest Anderson more near the end of the season and, pl- and have more trust in playing McElhinney compared to Sparks. That's also a topic. Like they yeah. think, oh, you know, he's a backup, doesn't matter. But like in this new age NHL, like backups do matter in terms of like getting wins on and resting your resting your your starting yeah. goalie. That there's a factor right there. I think that was big. I agree a hundred percent. He would have made a huge difference in the regular season, but playoffs we can no. agree he would have made no. none. Anderson started. Anderson started unless barring injury, you know, Anderson is obviously your guy of every game. So a backup's a non-factor unless there's an injury. Star number two, or star is number two, I should say, because we're going to go with uh, we're going to go with two teams here. If you uh, stayed in Friday night and watched some basketball, you were treated to a hell of a game, and you probably had a pretty late night. Uh, Blazers and Nuggets. You guys get our second star of the week because you guys played four overtime periods, basically two games, almost no, not. Two games, but you know what I mean. It felt full games. It almost felt Eight like quarters. Two yeah, it almost felt like well, they're five minute quarters, right? In overtime, or is it? It's still five minute quarters in overtime in basketball, uh, in the playoffs. But regardless, like four overtimes, crazy man. It was the longest basketball playoff game, NBA playoff game in in sixty six years. Longest NBA playoff game in sixty six years. Crazy, great entertainment. Great stars, Djokovic, McCollum, Lillard, all put on a show. Uh, Blazers win that game, take a series lead at 2-1. Third star of the week, Jonathan Azorio. Just because... We're talking we got, TFC. Oh, yeah, just because we haven't talked TFC in a while. We barely talk, but we should because they're playing well. Yeah, just because we haven't talked TFC for a while and also his goal yesterday against Orlando was pretty filthy. If you haven't seen it, take a look. TFC looks to be back this year, right? They're a much better team than last year. I think they're they're just more well rested without having to play the Champions League games. That's exactly it. They they played a lot a lot of soccer. There's no distractions from the league this year, and I think it's showing. Yeah, when they went to that cup fi- or that uh, Champions League final, uh, they they played a lot of soccer, and I think a little fatigue uh, stemmed into last season. Uh, this year they look rested. They got Pozuelo, who basically seems like a 27-year-old Jovinko. And I think we've argued on this show that he might even have a better tenure in TFC or on Toronto FC than than Jovinko did. He looks great. But Jonathan Azorio, homegrown player, Canadian. I'd like to see his progression. He's progressed a lot as a player. And... um, and man, it's it, it's exciting to watch Canada develop players because I think it's it's not something we've talked about or that we can point to a lot as Canadian soccer fans in terms of successful development of our own homegrown players. And Jonathan Azorio is certainly that, and he's playing well, and he's playing well for his uh, for his local team in Toronto FC. Chapman also scored that game. He's a Canadian. He scored a nice goal too. Yeah. Yeah, so Canadian soccer, topic for further discussion uh, down the road on this podcast as um, 
I think we need to start as we enter in the summer and the the basketball and uh, NHL playoffs wind down. We'll talk more TFC. We'll jump into that. We have the Forge FC here in Hamilton that we can potentially talk about. Um, and just Canada soccer in general. World Cup was awarded to Canada, US, Mexico officially for 2026. So obviously that, that's, a, that's a topic that we have to discuss because the question is, you know, what, what's, what's Canada going to do to get to succeed in that tournament? Obviously we're going to be in that tournament as a host nation. That's no guarantee yet, Not though. Yet. Yeah, that's no guarantee. They haven't announced that yet. Because, Probably, though. Because Probably you've though. never had three hosts before for a World Cup. But I, I, I can only imagine that you lean towards having them yeah. as a host country. But how can Canada get better as a soccer nation, as a country with 36 million people, to be successful in that tournament when you have countries like Iceland who don't have... 36 million people much 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 less can make world cups so that's going to be an interesting conversation wrapping it up here anything else you want to say talk about questions concerns comments no i'm just excited and i look forward to the um just the rest of the nhl playoffs i i no idea who's going to advance and i can't wait to see it the the winner is going to be I mean, they're going to come out of the woodworks this year because it's all the favorites are out. I mean, Boston's still in. It's I, going to be interesting. I saw that there's a chance that all four wildcard teams could make the conference finals. And that is insane. That's wild. It's a, it's a crapshoot of who's going to win the cup this year. That's exciting. We're going to watch the Raptors game um, this afternoon, 3.30 p.m. start. They need a win. Must win today. So let's go Raptors. Lowry, pick it up. We need you, buddy. That's all for us on Purposely Offside. I'm Anthony alongside Jordan. See you guys next week.